great to be with you this morning. My name's Tim. I'd love to meet you later if we haven't had a chance to talk yet in my, in my time here. Hopefully you will be able to cope with my accent, my strong Aussie accent, but uh, you can come and talk to me later if you can't understand something that I said. <laughs> uh, we're going to be looking at that part of the Bible, continuing our series in Romans, uh, chapter 8. It's on page 1137, so I'd love you to keep it open and follow along. Uh, so that you can check that what I say uh, is actually what God is saying and not uh, just something that I've made up for myself. Let's pray together as we come to look at God's word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the immense privilege it is to come before you and call you our Father. We thank you so much for what you have done for us in Jesus. And we thank you that because of what Jesus has done, your spirit has been poured out. We pray that as we read your word this morning, inspired by the spirit, that you'd help me to uh, explain it clearly. And we pray as well that that same spirit would be at work in each of our hearts, that as we hear your word, that we might be moved to respond appropriately, living the way you want us to live. We pray these things for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Well, since I've arrived in Malaysia, one of the things that I've noticed is that there seems to be a deep longing of people uh, to live a spiritual life. Uh, It's expressed in all sorts of different ways, of course. So for the Muslims, it's expressed in praying five times a day, the the giving the zakat tax and... uh, you know, going to have fasts and pilgrimages and that, that sort of thing. For the Buddhists, it's more involved with shrines and chanting and offering incense and those sorts of things. Uh, with the Chinese religions, it's more along the lines of ancestor worship or various superstitions and things like that. But there's a common desire amongst them all to be spiritual. And Christians as well, I think, share in this desire to live a spiritual life. Or to say it another way, to live a life led by the Spirit. And so I wonder what you think. Are you living a spiritual life? Are you being led by the Spirit of God? And if so, where is he leading you to? To the location of your next job? To to marriage? to your next holiday destination, to the next school for your children? Where is the Spirit leading you? In the Bible, interestingly enough, the the phrase led by the Spirit only occurs four times. It occurs twice in in Mark and Luke, in the the parallel passages talking about Jesus going out into the desert uh, to be tempted. It's once in Galatians 5, and it's once here in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. And we hear so much talk about being led by the Spirit. But what does it actually mean? In today's passage, the word Spirit occurs 17 times. It's clear that that's an important thing to look at. And if we're going to understand how to live a spiritual life, if we're going to know how or where the Spirit is leading us, then we have to get our heads around this passage, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. Well, first, let me just remind you where we're up to in in the book of Romans so far. 
Uh, we saw that Romans is, is Paul's great and magnificent exposition of the gospel. The gospel about Jesus Christ, the news which brings salvation to all who believe. In chapters 1 to 3, we saw our need, how we've all sinned and, and fallen short of the glory of God and deserve his righteous and just condemnation. In chapters 3 and 4, we saw God's response, how God has made us right with himself through only what Jesus has done for us on the cross, a salvation that comes to us by faith. In chapter 5, we saw the fruit of justification, an an avalanche of blessings, peace with God, a sure hope, God's love poured into our hearts, rejoicing. And in chapter 5 to 7, as Paul began to answer various objections to the gospel of grace, we saw that we could be in one of two realms. Let me just remind you what they were. The first realm was being in Adam, in the realm of, of sin and death. That was our natural state. We rebel against God as our ruler and try to live life our own way without him and we come under his condemnation. But by God's grace we can be moved across to that, to that second realm in Christ, the realm of grace. And here Jesus has set us free from our condemnation and he's won us eternal life. Does that mean that we can just sin because we're under grace? Well, Paul's answer in chapter 6, cannot laugh. Are you crazy, R? We've been set free to serve Jesus as our new master, not sin. Well, does, does that mean that the law is sin? Because we've been rescued from the law. The law is on the left-hand side. Well, Paul's answer in chapter 7, cannot laugh. Are you crazy, R? The law was holy and good. The problem was our sin that indwelt us and made us powerless to keep the law. But the inevitable question that we're left with as we come to chapter 8 is if law-keeping is not for us anymore, then how as Christians are we meant to live in this new realm of grace? We got a sneak peek last week in chapter 7, verse 6. Have a look there or it's up on the screen. It said this, By now, But now we have been released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. The alternative to life under the law is the new way of the Spirit, the spiritual life. So Paul continues his argument here in chapter 8, verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. To pick up the contrast straight away, whereas the law could only ever bring us condemnation and death because of our sin, for those who are in Christ, now there is no condemnation anymore. We're right with God because of what Jesus has done for us. Why? Well, verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. What is this, this law of the Spirit of life? It's a funny phrase, isn't it? Well, we've seen again and again and again as we've gone through the book of Romans that it's the gospel 
It's the news of, of God's gracious work through Jesus Christ that makes us right with him. It's the gospel. It's, it's not the law that can make us right with God. And so Paul again returns to that great, great gospel in verse 3 and he explains it to us again. Verse 3, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. See, the law was no good to us because of our flesh or our sinful nature, if you like, as the, as the NIV puts it. The literal meaning is, is, you know, skin, flesh, right? But Paul's not talking about that. He's talking about our sin-dominated, self-centred selves, our state in Adam, in rebellion against God, under God's condemnation and judgement. It's a very technical word, but you all know what I'm talking about when I say flesh. Our flesh, our, our tendency to always do wrong from the moment we are born, to live for ourselves, to rebel against God and to disobey him. I mean, think about it for a moment. When was the last time you had to teach a child to be selfish? They had to sit down and say, now you must say, that's mine, this is so unfair. (laughs) Or have you ever had to sit down with your children and teach them to be greedy? (laughs) No way. You have to teach them to share and to be kind and to have manners. Our natural state, our flesh, is in rebellion against God, living our own way, living for ourselves. The law is useless to us because our flesh stops us from keeping it. But did you say, God has made us right with him through Jesus. God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. See, in one way, Jesus is just like us. Jesus was was fully human. He shared our struggles and our temptations. He experienced emotions. He felt pain. He was just like us. He was human. But he was also very different to us because unlike us, Jesus was sinless. You know, when he was led into the desert to be, uh, to be tempted, he didn't give in. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he didn't disobey God's will for his life. When he hung on the cross, he didn't bear out threats on other people. Jesus was always righteous. He was always obedient. He was sinless, even to the point of death on a cross. And so Jesus, being both fully human and the perfect, sinless one, was the only one who was able to make us right with God. As he died on the cross, he took that condemnation that we should face on himself. Why did he do it? Verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, Paul doesn't mean that when you become a Christian, suddenly, pam, you're perfect. You can perfectly obey all of God's laws. Uh, You you never lose your temper with your children. 
Uh, you're suddenly patient on the roads all the time. In fact, you're practically perfect in every way, as the mugs that you can buy say. <laughs> Rather, what he means is, as Jesus died on the cross, we were considered righteous with God, not because of what we had done, but because Jesus fully met the demands of the law on our behalf. He was the sinless one, even to the point of death. It's something like this. I'll show you on the screen. It's easier if you can visualise it, isn't it? We were sinful. We were unrighteous. Uh, We were deserving death and condemnation. Jesus was sinless. He was righteous. He He was right with God and deserving of eternal life with God. But as Jesus died on the cross, our sin, our death penalty, our condemnation was put on him. And his perfect righteousness, his right standing with God, was given to us who walk according to the Spirit. That is the Gospel. And those who believe that Gospel have been brought into this new realm, no longer under the law, but under Jesus as Lord. And in this new realm that we're in, we're to live, verse 4, according to the Spirit. And so in the verses that follow, Paul sets up this contrast between two ways of life. Life, the old life, according to the flesh, and the new life, according to the Spirit. See it in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. See, there's two ways of life, right? There's the life according to the flesh, that is, being in the old realm on the left, being in Adam, in rebellion against God, and there's the new life, the life according to the Spirit, being in the new realm, being justified, trusting in Jesus as Lord. And these two ways of life have two mindsets that flow from them. There's a mindset set on fulfilling the desires of the flesh or there's the mindset on fulfilling the desires of the spirit. What's your mind occupied with? The things of the flesh? Like how much money you can earn for yourself? Or lust for sex? Where's your mind on the things of the spirit? See, I Our thinking is an expression of who we are, whether we're in the flesh or we're living according to the Spirit. But let me just say, if you haven't trusted in Jesus as your Saviour yet, the problem is not your thinking. That's just the symptom, right? And you can't just fix up your thinking and suddenly think you'll be okay with God, right? You need to put your trust in Jesus. You need to let Jesus deal with the real problem the sin indwelling in your flesh. If you can do that, if you become a Christian, then right thinking will follow from that. So there's two ways of life, there's two mindsets that follow it, and there's two outcomes that come from those two ways of thinking. Verse 6, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So the outcome for the person in the flesh, the non-Christian, is death. Physical death. 
as well as eternal death, separation from God forever in hell. But the outcome for the person living according to the Spirit is life and peace. Having relationship with God, no longer being his enemies and looking forward to eternal life with him in heaven. So there it is. Two ways of life. Life according to the flesh or life according to the spirit. Which way of life is yours right now? Friends, this is really, really crucial, right? We read on in verse 7, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, nor indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Let those words sink in for a moment. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. They're God's enemies. They can't follow his law. They can't live the way he wants. It's just like Paul's experience back in Romans 7 where he couldn't follow God's law no matter how hard he tried and no matter how hard we try we will not be able to keep the law. We will fail again and again and again because the problem is that sin indwelling within us which has taken us captive to do his will. Paul's summary is that those in the flesh cannot please God. Did you hear it? Those in the flesh cannot please God. They cannot please God. It doesn't matter how kind or moral or spiritual you are. It doesn't matter how much money you give or how many prayers you say. If you're not a Christian, trusting in Jesus, you are in the flesh. You are hostile to God. You cannot please him at all. And think for a moment about a, a bank robber, a very, a very moral uh, bank robber. Uh, he's very kind to the bank employees. As he steals the money, he remembers to smile. He says, please, and when they give him the money, he says, thank you as well. Been well taught by his parents. As he steals the money and, and, and he leaves the shop, he remembers to open the doors for the other robbers and let them go through first. And when he gets home, he remembers, after all, to give 10% of the money that he has stolen to charity as well. (laughs) Wow, what a robber. (laughs) Does his moral behaviour for a moment change the fact that he is a criminal who deserves to be punished, that he's in rebellion against the government? No, not at all, does it? You can be the most kind, loving selfless, generous person in the whole world. But if you haven't repented and turned back to Jesus, then you are at one and the same time committing the greatest evil of all. You're rejecting the ruler of the universe. You're you're dethroning him and taking his glory for your own. There's no doubt at all, is it, that we deserve God's wrath. Maybe your, your family is very good and kind. Maybe like my parents. But they're not living for Jesus. 
Maybe your friends at, at work or at uni are very generous and, and very loving, but they're not living for Jesus. Maybe you yourself are a very kind, gentle, loving person, but you're not yet a Christian. It doesn't matter how good people seem, no matter how spiritual they seem, whether they're Buddhist or Muslim or Hindu or atheist or whatever else, if someone is outside Christ, they are hostile to God. They are guilty. And unless they turn back to God, unless they turn back to Christ as their Saviour and Lord, they're going to be condemned to hell. Do you believe it? Do you believe it for yourself? Do you believe that for your family and friends? Do you believe that for your colleagues? How are you seeking to love them? Are you sharing the gospel with them? Are you praying that God's spirit will change them and turn them back to God? In the end, isn't that the most loving thing you could possibly do for them? But dear friends, if we are Christians here, if we are trusting Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, then that is not our story anymore. We've been set free from the flesh to live according to the Spirit. Have a look at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. See, if you are a Christian, then you are not in the flesh anymore. You live according to the Spirit. And the Trinitarian God lives within you by, your, by his Spirit. Did you notice the wording of it there? First in verse 9, it's the Spirit of God. And then it's, it's the Spirit of, of Christ. In verse 10, having the Spirit within us is like having Christ dwell in us. And so we can never separate the work of the Spirit and the work of Christ. The Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. He points us to Christ. And it should be no surprise in a passage that mentions the Spirit so much that it begins in verses 1 to 4 talking about all that Jesus has done for us. It is the work of the Spirit to regenerate us and to turn us back to Christ. Well, how is it then that some churches can teach that you can be a Christian and not have the Spirit. Especially that you, can, that you don't have the Spirit if you can't speak in tongues or have visions or dreams. Doesn't this say that if you are a Christian, you have the Spirit? And if you don't have the Spirit, then you're not a Christian at all. The very sign of the Spirit's work is that someone will turn back to Jesus as their Lord and Saviour and start living for him. 
Or how is it that some churches can be on about the Holy Spirit all the time, but they never talk about Christ? If it was a a spirit-filled church, wouldn't they be going on and on about Jesus all the time? That's what the Spirit does. He points us to Jesus. It's a very serious error to separate the work of the Spirit from the work of Christ. Christians are indwelt by the Spirit of Christ. They belong to Christ and their future is secure with Christ. For the very same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead will one day raise us bodily also. See in verse 11. We don't need to fear death for our eternal future with Christ is secure. It's been secured by the Spirit dwelling within us. It's quite clear, isn't it? Christians are spiritual people. They are the only spiritual people. And they are spiritual people because they are indwelt by the Spirit of God. The Spirit that enables them to turn to Christ and the Spirit that continues to lead them throughout the Christian life. Verse 12 So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Where is the Spirit leading us? It's in verse 14. Well, verse 14 follows verse 13, does it not? And verse 13 tells us that the Spirit is leading us to put to death the misdeeds of the body, our old life of sin. The Spirit is leading us to holiness. And I mean, where else did we expect the Holy Spirit to lead us except to holiness? Do we expect him really to lead us to what career we should have or what course I should study or what sort of flavour of ice cream I should buy from the shop? The Holy Spirit leads us to holiness. And so if you want to be led by the Spirit, then read the Bible. Inspired by the Spirit and be transformed into the likeness of Jesus as you obey it. Brothers and sisters, we have been set free from the law and from that indwelling sin that dwells within us. We have no outstanding debts to pay to the flesh. The flesh loan sharks are not going to turn up on your door and ask you to pay. The Old Testament promises of Ezekiel 11, of the Spirit coming, have been fulfilled. The Spirit has come. God's law has been put on our hearts. And now with the Spirit's help, we can live God's way. Indeed, we are commanded to follow the Spirit's leading by putting to death the sin in our life. There is absolutely no question at all that when we become a Christian, a significant change should happen in our life. Our values, 
Our attitudes, our motivations should change. We should start seeking to love God with all our heart and love our neighbour as ourself. People should start to wonder if you are the same person anymore. Buying pirated DVDs has no place in the Christian life. Marrying a non-Christian is not what a Christian does. Gossip and inappropriate speech are out of place for the Christian. We're not to be casual about drunkenness or internet pornography. Paul tells us to execute sin, to murder it, to put it to death. Do you see verse 13? It's a matter of life and death. Put sin to death or it will kill you. <laughs> now, let, Again, let me say, Paul is not saying that you have to be perfect to be saved. Okay? But the person who is in Christ has the spirit of Christ which is leading them towards holiness. And if your life hasn't changed, then maybe you are resisting the work of the spirit. Or worse still, maybe you're not actually a Christian at all. But having the spirit is a great Reassurance. It means we're not alone in the Christian life. Our situation isn't like Paul's in chapter 7. With the Spirit, we can make progress. With the Spirit, we can grow into the likeness of Jesus. And whenever we fail, we know we are forgiven because of what Jesus has done for us. Remember verse 1? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When Jesus returns, we will be welcomed into his kingdom. And finally, that process of sanctification will be complete. We will share the perfect holiness of Jesus himself. Isn't that just a wonderful, wonderful thought? Isn't that amazing? But believe it or not, we haven't finished the passage yet. There's much, much more. Much more. Look at verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. I wonder if you could imagine for a moment what would happen if I decided that I was going to go and meet Najib Tun Razak, the powerful Prime Minister of Malaysia. I get in my car, I wait in traffic for about an hour and then I get out onto the actual road. And a few hours and a few details later I manage to, to turn up at Padana Pucha and plan to just walk into his office and say... I just thought I'd uh, pop over and say hello, la. We all know what would happen, don't we? Before I even got close, I would be arrested. (laughs) The fact of the matter is, you can't get close to powerful people. But because of the work of the Spirit in bringing us to repentance, Christians have been adopted into God's family. We can 
come into the presence of the powerful creator of the universe anytime. And we can do so without fear. We can call that sovereign ruler of everything, Abba, Father. Just like Jesus in Mark 14, we can call God Dad. And doesn't that stagger you? Doesn't that take your breath away? But amazing as that is to be called God's children, can you believe it? There's still more. Those led by the Spirit are, verse 17, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. As God's children, we're guaranteed that together with Christ we will inherit his kingdom. The Spirit will lead us through suffering to glory. We should expect the Christian life to be filled with with suffering and difficulties, just like the recent church bombings here in KL. Christ himself suffered and died, but later he was raised to glory. And if we follow Christ, we also will suffer in this life. But if we endure, glory awaits and the present sufferings won't be worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. More of that next week with Z. But let's wrap up. Who is the spiritual person? Is it the devout Buddhist? or Muslim, sincere, committed, religious. We must admire that sincerity, shouldn't we? But we've seen in the Bible today that only Christians who have trusted in Jesus have the Spirit. So though they may be sincere, they are not spiritual. Well, is a spiritual person then the person who practices meditation or, or uses lots of candles, who creates a great experience of the presence of God. Again, we have to commend such a desire, should we not, to know God, to experience his presence. But we've seen in the Bible again today that the spiritual person is not the one who has had special experiences It's the person who belongs to Jesus and the person who is indwelt by the Spirit of Jesus. Is the spiritual person then the person who talks on and on about the Holy Spirit, about spiritual gifts like speaking in tongues? Again, we've seen from the Bible today that the Spirit's work is to point us to Christ, to make us like Christ, to turn us to Christ. And so the spiritual person will be fixated not on the Holy Spirit, but on Jesus himself. See, the spiritual person is a person who is a Christian, who has trusted Jesus to make them right with God. The Christian who is growing more and more to be like Jesus. The Christian who knows that like Jesus, they are a son of God who will go through suffering to glory with him.
So if you want to be spiritual, put your trust in Jesus. Centre your life, your thoughts, your hopes and dreams on living for Jesus as your Lord and God as your Heavenly Father. See, that is where the Spirit is leading us. Are you following his lead? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have not left us in the flesh in our captivity to to sin and death under your judgement. We thank you that you have set us free in Christ Jesus, that we may be right with you because of what Jesus has done. We thank you for giving us your spirit so that we might turn to him as our Lord and Saviour and that you are continuing to lead us into holiness, leading us to you as our Heavenly Father and leading us through the suffering of this present time to the glory that awaits when we will be with you for eternity. Heavenly Father, these are amazing things that we know we don't deserve. We thank you so much for your grace and we pray that just as you command in this passage, stemming from your great love and grace, you would enable us to follow your lead, to follow Jesus as our Lord, to bring you honour in everything that we do and say. Help us not to be taken away by other things that on the outside may look very spiritual. Help us to keep trusting you in your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.